to Pahahahudcast. Please tell us where you want the emphasis on the ha, 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 good cast. Should we do an umlaut? Should we do an accent mark? What should we do here? Uh, so, I am your host, Danny DeRosa, and this is Vivian. Vivian, you want to introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Vivian. I'm pretty much here just because I booked Birkenbein, so my main purpose is to be here. My main purpose is to be here, <laughs> and I, his main purpose might to be here. So we're all going to exist in this room for a bit. That should be our tagline. Our main purpose is to be here. <laughs> <laughs> professor Birkenbein is here. He is a professor from the Reynolds School of Journalism. I don't know how many courses you teach, but I know that you teach Journalism 107. Yes, that's true. I teach uh, Journalism 107, and then I'm currently teaching a graduate class as well in the future of journalism. Our podcast is called the pa ha ha Hodcast because Very nicely it's done. comedy club. Yep. Nicely done. Um, we don't know which ha to put the emphasis on yet, so... Do you have any ideas on that? Uh, I, I guess I don't know. I guess you'll have to keep going over it and find out which ha should be emphasized. <laughs> but out in the middle or something? Yeah, maybe the middle, I guess. Whatever looks pleasing or sounds better. <laughs> so we've only done a couple of these, so we're still kind of finding our groove. But we mainly talk about like comedy that we enjoyed as a kid or like stuff that we really think is cool now, stuff like that. So... I guess that's a good question to start off with. What did you like as a kid? Well, I'm a, uh, I am a child of the 80s through and through. So, I mean, growing up, it was always, you know, Saturday morning cartoons and, and that kind of stuff um, that really got me going on just finding things that were funny. Um, after that, I, it became sort of a cult classic to watch Saturday Night Live, uh, of course, and some of the the comedy that was going on there. I mean, the classic casts like uh, Chris Farley, you know, Adam Sandler, Mike Myers, David Spade, and, and all those cats. Um, yeah, and, and so I'm originally from Wisconsin, and Chris Farley is also from Wisconsin. He's from my hometown. And so watching him growing up uh, and just his slapstick comedy, just the physical comedy that he would do, was just hilarious. I mean, to talk about that with my friends, like going to school and just laughing about it. Uh, so, you know, that whole era was really important as well. Um, I could keep going on that for a while. Yeah, please, please do. That's fine. Because one of the other things that happened is, um, you know, I was active in sports when I was young and, and we would have these basketball camps or like a, a camp where you go, you know, you stay at, at a university dorm room or something like that. And so there's kids from all over the state, you know, Wisconsin that come to this thing. And I, I can still remember to this day when Adam Sandler's comedy CDs came out. <laughs> there was one called They're All Gonna Laugh at You. And it, I, I haven't listened to that in a long time, but I guarantee if I went back and listened to it now, there'd be so many things that would be kind of inappropriate for the times now. But oh my like gosh. What? I mean, well, just, you know, because, he, he, you know, a lot of his comedy is making fun of people and um, really sort of denigrating other people. Um, yeah, so denigrating people for, for who they are. So he has some, well, it, it's the whole spectrum, right? He's got comedy songs, right? And he sings about, like, his red sweatshirt, and that's really funny. Mm-hmm. And he used to do that on Saturday Night Live. He would appear on Weekend Update with an acoustic guitar and sing songs about whatever. Um but then he would also have skits about uh, – there was one called Tollbooth Willie. 
And the skit was basically he was playing Toll Booth Willie, this this toll booth worker, and we don't really know where, but presumably out east somewhere. And drivers would drive through the toll booth and just make fun of him, right? Um, and I'm not sure what sort of language restrictions you have on your podcast here. What? Oh, let's explore that because, again, um, this is a professor at the Reynolds School of Journalism, and we are students. So what what should our restriction be? Don't Do you get guys, yourself in trouble. Do you guys think? <laughs> 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 um, I don't know. what. I guess maybe we should ask the listeners in this first one and see what they're comfortable with. Or we could just, I don't know, start swearing and see what happens. But at the same time, I mean, it's a comedy <laughs> podcast. And I would say one of the hallmarks and strengths of comedy is to not censor your speech, right? Fair. Well, like, sorry to interrupt, but that kind of ties in. I'm a student in his 107 lecture, and he was talking about the history of broadcasting yesterday. And he talked about George Carlin's uh, Seven Words You Don't Say, which was like a, one of the first things I heard that really kind of got me into comedy because it's George Carlin. And then there's like a CNN documentary about the history of comedy and it talks about censorship. And so it talks about Lenny Bruce Thank and George Bruce. Carlin. Mm-hmm. And so they were talking about the seven words you can't say. And that was like a wild thing to me. So that kind of ties in really nicely. I would like to interrupt this um, not very important thing to just let everybody know that um, I am currently tangled um, in the wheel of my chair here. It is a rolling chair. And uh, my headphone wire seems to be wrapped up. And I just think that should be the focus of our podcast here today. It's funny. You know, I had just had that same experience and I had to unroll the microphone cord from my <laughs> wheel as well. So I'm sure there's a yeah. comedy bit in there somewhere. <laughs> the there whole is. reason we're here. There is. We just got to roll with it. Yeah. yeah. We just got to roll with these chairs, the chairs that we have. Maybe try some stand up after the, uh, I don't know. <laughs> stand up that you can't see. Yeah. yeah. It's the yeah. best kind. Yep. All right, so SNL was big. Um, so kind of tying into you were talking about Weekend Update. Um, obviously, as a journalism professor, there's political satire that people talk about. Um, and a lot of the people like uh, Stephen Colbert and Jon Stewart, they when they get interviewed, are always asked, well, you are journalists. And they very quickly say, no, I'm a comedian. So I'm kind of curious from someone on the journalistic side of that, is that like talking bad about the journalism side or is it maybe saying that there's one is falling down on the other maybe or is it just good that they're a combination no i I basically when when i hear that from colbert or from john stewart used to say that all the time john oliver says it now on 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 last week tonight when i hear that i think they're just drawing a very clear kind of line between what they do and the editorial oversight that either goes into um, publication or even the investigation beforehand versus, you know, what takes place on the journalism side, which is discovery of information, uh, uh, trying to verify that information from multiple sources before you publish it, and then owning what you publish and, and putting it out there. Now, there are going to be certain things that are similar uh, with that on the comedy side too, right? Obviously, there's production, there's sort of research that goes into everything. But those commentators are really doing just that. They're commentating on the news, providing it and presenting it in such a way that it's going to be funny by pointing out the absurdity, by pointing out injustice, whatever it may be. Um, That's their role to sort of amplify or to um, editorialize based off of the reporting of others. 
Uh, now, they're going to have, like I said, their own research departments. But um, I think when they say that, they're just saying, you know, don't give us the credit. You know, give credit to journalists for figuring out the information. We just have fun with it. Mm-hmm. So kind of tying it back to the, the university, in those similar interviews, they tend to say that, well, college kids get their news from from the satire shows. So, again, like, is that a bad thing or maybe is it just a good gateway for them to actually go into the articles that actually did the reporting or yeah it's almost like you you kind of candy coat the the bitter pill or something right that's the kind of spoonful of sugar that makes the the depressing news go down (laughs) um because you know it's absolutely true people don't want to wake up every day and read depressing stuff about the harsh realities of the world but when you present it in a way that's either funny by making fun of that thing or like, hey, let's laugh at the absurdity of injustice or inequality in the country or in the world, that's a little bit more palatable. So I would never fault anybody for getting their news from, you know, The Daily Show or, you know, John Oliver or Samantha Bee or whoever it is. But at the same time, you know, knowing that that's almost like it should serve as almost like a kind of to pique your interest, you know? And then if you want more information, then you go do the reading, do the necessary work to actually figure out what the facts are, um, figure out what you can trust, what you can't trust, and draw that line again between news and, and sort of hard news, what it is, and then editorial. It's all the comments that took place about that thing. So, Absolutely. Yeah. So Absolutely. I think you were talking about SNL, and now that we have multiple political satire shows is that kind of a thing now that you've um gone through decades of different comedy shows thank you thank you for that i don't know thank how to distinguish under, it underhanded comment no, how do you, no how do you distinguish it now that you've it's gone okay. through only one decade it's okay you know what we're all here right now i don't even know how old you are i can't tell by looking at you and i think that's one thing that can be really hard when uh uh, that's something we could explore too, not to interrupt you guys, but I. Well, thank you for that compliment too. I, I don't know, and I think that's Just one. Gonna thing. go sit in the corner that's, now. That's, don't mind me. That's one thing we could make fun of. You know what? We all we all make mistakes, and maybe we can't tell from the outside how old someone is. And I know, I've I've seen guys, I've seen men have a lot of issues with that because they look at a they look at a young lady, and you know they she could be thirteen. But maybe she looks 18. So we know that's something that, like, maybe we should be talking about. Well, And maybe we could find a way to make fun of it, too. Do you, no. do you know who Mark Evans is? Mark Evans? No, okay. sorry. So he's an actor. Sorry, Mark, if you're out there. <laughs> so he's not listening to this. <laughs> so he's, he's an actor who went through improv in Detroit. And he's been in um, shows like Brooklyn Nine-Nine and uh, things like that. But he does this I have podcast. no idea what that is. It's a show. You guys are too young and hip for me. I don't know what this is. It's a comedy show right. because we only talk about one genre here. Okay. Um, but he does this radio, he, a podcast, and it's kind of uh, making fun of the old radio shows that NBC used to do. So he plays this character named Sparks Nevada, who is a space um, marshal on Mars. And the first day I had your lecture, this is way too much information to be telling you as a student, but <laughs> the first day I had your lecture, I swore that you were his doppelganger. Oh, okay. Because he's almost exactly, except without the glasses. Like, it's it, just to go off of like the whole age thing. Sure. I could have. It could have been anywhere from like fifteen to, I don't know. 
you know? Upwards. Yeah. <laughs> Upwards of 15. Yeah. But I'm just saying, I thought that was super interesting. And also, yeah. again, not to keep tying this back, but also you were talking about radio shows yesterday in lecture. So I was like, maybe he is Mark Hemingway. We've been talking about radio all week. Radio is vitally important. And mm-hmm. I'm not going to do my lecture here on the on the comedy pod, the comedy ha 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 podcast. You have to say it. Okay, I think we have to say it like uh, Barney Stinson, how he does that little ha 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 ha. Oh yeah, yeah, like the evil laugh, that inflection. You know what I would do now that I Patrick Harris. You caught me off guard with the early question. I would capitalize each H in that each H ha 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 podcast. Or put okay. a period after each one, so it's like eight different words. <laughs> no, <laughs> not a period. You know, you know, <laughs> we have to come up with an acronym, and that's I don't I don't have the time for that. A hyphen, a hyphen, a hyphen may be acceptable, but I'm 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 going to go ahead and say just ha ha ha. Put it right in the middle, Professor. Hyphens are never acceptable. Well, as someone who teaches grammar, I would say that yes, they they have a they have a they have a place. But why though? Uh, for compound, so if you if you you want like a grammar lesson here, <laughs> yes, I yeah. yes, give us a funny grammar lesson. So, so well, <laughs> no pressure, funny. make grammar funny right now. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I don't. So know. how about this? So if you said like, well, um, I have to think of a compound noun real quick, but uh, yeah, you you just. I'm not going to do this right now. The, I would uh, rather. I would actually much rather talk about comedy than grammar. <laughs> okay, okay, because grammar is just. We There's don't no way to make we, it we don't know how to make that funny. I remember doing set, sentence structuring when I was a kid for fun, but I for fun for fun. But like that's the just whole me. like the did you used to have to do the diagramming? Yes, sentences? I loved diagramming sentences. See, but that's that's they don't do that's that magic don't right think, there. Do they? Yeah, that's the good stuff. Oh yeah, do not, they keep doing that? Well, not enough people are <laughs> are are diagramming <laughs> sentences. It's very true. <laughs> I read I read the papers, and by yeah. the, the papers I mean your papers. You yeah, know, nobody's <laughs> diagramming sentences anymore. So, just to throw this in to set everyone on the same embarrassment embarrassment level. Speaking of spelling, so there was a lecture. I don't know why I'm bringing this up, but there was a lecture that you talked about, um, and you had brought up the movie Trading Places about the like yeah. the trading thing. Okay. Yeah. But you use the money, the movie Money Pit, yep. which has Tom Hanks in it. Yep. And I thought, with my weird brain, that that was a super funny, like misquote because they're two very different movies, right? Mm-hmm. So I sent you an email saying, "Ha, look at these movie posters; they're so different." Oh, that's funny. In that lecture, you were like, "People have been sending me emails where my name is spelled wrong, so don't do that." And I was like, "I'm gonna yeah. quadruple check this email, make sure I don't spell your name wrong." Oh, and how do we spell your name? Uh, that would be B I R K I N B I N E. Yeah. So Birkenbein. remember that forever because I sent the email after I read it four times. I got the response back and I was like, okay, that wasn't as successful as I expected. And then I looked at the email and it was B I R K E N B I N E. So a, terse, then, a terse response from Professor Birkenbein. Yeah. So then I dug my own grave and decided to never come to show my face ever again. <laughs> <laughs> it was the worst thing. And it's like, it's one letter. I'm sure you probably didn't even notice it, but. I, I, n- I noticed things. Yeah. We'll put it that way. <laughs> but you're okay. It's, I mean, I'm, I'm here and that's okay. But, but actually, back to your point about trading places like mm. and, and, and Money Pit. All those movies. I mean, movies were huge, right? Like, uh, because not only you had the Saturday Night Live cast that would make movies, all of that stuff was big in, in my early, I would say that's my sort of 
formative comedy appreciation years uh, were those movies too, like watching, you know, like The Toy with Richard Pryor, oh, which is yeah, like a yeah. ridiculous premise, but yeah. it's, you know, it's got such great, almost like kind of biting social commentary in there as well. Um, and, and I'm trying to segue all this up until like my number one comic of all time, who, if people don't know this guy, you got to listen to Bill Hicks. Oh, yeah. So, like, Bill Hicks was, like, the top. And as soon as I started hearing Bill Hicks, it, it was, like, life-changing. Really? That, that comedy was life-changing. Because, you know, we talked earlier about social commentary, like, um, you know, or even in the guise of, like, comedy shows, uh, like The Daily Show or Last Week Tonight or, or, or Samantha Bee's show. Um, you know, Bill Hicks was basically... It, like at points, it wasn't even comedy. He was just giving you criticism, right? And really biting criticism. And it was just like funny because it was true. And people were confronted with the like ab- the absurdity. I keep using that term because I'm big, I'm big on absurdity. But the, he just points it out, right? And it's like that's that's the stuff that it's it's just real, right? It's sort of it's truth saying, you know, in that kind of classic sense of dudes that wear all black and speak the truth right Right. like a like a hamlet actor but they're saying jokes yeah but i was i was also thinking about like you know johnny cash you know why he wears black and then bill hicks did it and then carlin did it in his later years yeah almost as an homage although i've got into some really heated comedy debates about carlin versus hicks um like yelling on the streets of montreal one time um <laughs> with a guy walking down the streets just talking about it and i was like i you know i disagree well carlin's kind of like a weird chestnut too because he started on ed sullivan mm-hmm. and he was like this clean cut guy family friendly all this stuff and then he kind of just took a turn into the political and the commentary and things like that and the seven words you can't say and it was kind of just this massive change but it was interesting to me that he could pull off both equally yeah. I would say that not one is any better than the other. I mean, he has stuff that's more famous, but technique-wise, I personally would say there's not one that's better than the other. Yeah, he had certain he had certain uh hallmarks to his comedy that that sort of became refined, you know? So if you look at Carlin's trajectory, you're right. He started off with that sort of way. He always had that kind of um really snappy dialogue, right? And he could tie right. tie words together in almost like a spoken word form of poetry, right? Um, and then he, you know, he, he had this sort of fast talk. He'd play with language in certain ways, and it was sort of a, it was a really high level of comedy. Um, actually, I would just sort of language arts. And then later, he turned that into a biting social commentary. And I, I can't remember which, um, which live special it was, but he came out one time, and just his opening line, he just fires off this, you know, minute and a half to two-minute monologue uh, about how, you know, uh, and I, I can't even remember. I'm not even going to do it justice by by trying to explain this right now. But it was he, he didn't miss a beat, and then the rest of the the performance was okay. It wasn't one of his more memorable, I don't think, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, but man, just when I listened to that little piece of it, just like I felt like that was Carlin, like at the top of his game. He sort of perfected that art. So is that kind of? Uh, into modern day, is that kind of the people that you would tend to listen to now as like a political commentary or social commentary rather than someone say like, um, well, the more popular family friendly friendly one would be like Jim Gaffigan or something, or maybe someone like uh, a little bit in the middle, like Patton Oswalt or maybe. 
Yeah, I mean, I'd I, I, I kind of like comedy writ large. I mean, I'll, I'll listen to anybody's set usually, right? So whether it's just like um, kind of the the vulgar shock comedy of like Abby Wong, right? The Baby mm. Cobra stand up that is hilarious to me, and and really good for a lot of a lot of reasons. Um, but I'll also watch uh, one of the other better ones that I watch, which is kind of like silly, although there's some other stuff in there, like uh, Pete Holmes. You know oh, this yeah, guy? Yeah. Pete Holmes. Like, I, I really felt like his his stand-up was pretty good. You know, I tried watching his show on HBO, and it's mm-hmm. not I, – I mean – I think it's so, like – it's almost like the journey to his stand-up kind of, so I think you have to be, like, really into the whole – Yeah, sorry, Pete. I didn't really like that show, but <laughs> – He's not um, listening. Yeah. <laughs> but um, – We have two listeners on this. Yeah, no, They're both right. our moms. Oh really? <laughs> Hi mom. Hi moms. <laughs> you know. Um yeah, but but anyways, I I mean his stuff was really really funny and there's some there's some good stuff in his his sets too. So I I kind of I mean I don't really have like a preferred type of comedy necessarily, but um certainly if someone does kind of a biting political or social commentary and does it well and cleverly Instead of just getting up there and be like, oh, F, you know, F the president or, or a- anything else. Yeah. Like that, you know, come yeah. on. I mean, it's not a joke. It's, it's just not, a thing. Yeah. It's not clever, right? It's yeah. just sort of, you know, shaking your fist at the cloud. Like, mm-hmm. darn you, cloud, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Old, I, old man <laughs> yells at cloud, right? Oh, that's breaking news. Yeah. yeah. Old man shakes his fist at cloud. New York <laughs> Times for gold. Providing shade when not wanted. <laughs> Well, and of course, that reference comes from The Simpsons, right? right? And The Simpsons, again, that was like a major... Yeah, okay, so... Major, major deal for me. So what about shows like... I don't know if you've seen... uh, Try me. I owe my professor um, a dime. I said like... And I said it on a podcast. I'm probably no, you gonna... said it twice. Oh, man. Like, what do well, you that mean? was in context. Like... That was in context. I have a professor who collects dimes for every... Uh, Every like we put into a uh, every time we say a like or um. an article or something. Mm-hmm. So so anyway, have you seen the show Portlandia? Yeah, I oh. lived in Oregon for a bit too. Oh, cool! I lived in Portland for a bit. Yeah, it's it's neat. I'm yeah. pretty sure there are street signs there named after The Simpsons. Yeah, in fact, I feel like if you drive down. I forget the road, but every cross street is a Simpsons character. Mm-hmm. So you go from like Wiggum, Wiggum mm-hmm. to Flan- Flanders. The Flanders, and, yeah. yeah. They're all there. Yeah. Where is the Fox Tower movie theater? Do you, do you the know? Fox Tower um, movie theater. In, no. what is that square called? I haven't been there in a while. In Portland? In Portland. Yeah, sorry. No, I, I mean, I'm not, I mean, I, I know my way around Portland, but I'm not really that familiar. I okay. lived in Eugene, so oh, okay. I was in Eugene for okay. a bit. Are you familiar with Powell's bookstore? Yes, of course. I'm oh, sorry. Jeez. And, and Powell's too. Sorry. Uh, Powell's is this gigantic massive bookstore where anyone can just go in and just start reading. So if they were interested in comedy, they could just go in and read. And it feels very different to me than other big chain places um like Barnes Noble and is Borders even still a thing? I think they're gone. I think they're gone. That's, they used to have know. one in Reno. I think but it got it, eaten up by Barnes & Noble. They're, they're really welcoming. And I think that um, that attitude when you're in, approaching comedy or education or social justice issues or, or whatever is, is really important to just try to be open-minded. And um, Another dime. <laughs> I can't stop thinking about that. Right. I can't. I'm like trying to keep a running total. I think I owe him like... 
50 cents at this point. Oh, man. Anyway. Breaking the bank. Yeah, well, that's because Powell's is widely regarded, I think, as one of the best independent bookstores in the country. I mean, it's sort of real famous. So if you want, like, a hipster's guide to (laughs) anywhere, like, Powell's is on your list, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Actually, that was one of the cool things, too, about Portland is that there's a really uh, kind of vibrant independent scene not only for music but like for zines comics everything else so you could get like the zinesters guide to portland and it Mm -hmm. told you about where to go for like the good comic shops good sorts of everything so do you think that um and i'm getting off tangent here so that's what we're here for um do you think that reno is possibly becoming the next portland as maybe a little sister city how do you mean well so are you still? And live? by how do you mean? I mean what do you mean? It's in, right, intense in the room all of a sudden. Reno, I I grew up here. I was born and raised here, and I was able to spend. Uh, I lived in Portland for a while, and it's a just, it's a wonderful city. I can only speak from my experience. Um, I don't have all the economical data in front of me. However, they seem to really really embraced the arts there and everyone was welcome everybody was welcome to come and just make art and that's something that I personally am very passionate about because comedy is art because you are comedy and art and being a teacher and being a student those are all art forms they just take different uh they take different uh what am I trying to say they take different guises. Variations on Variations, the expression. Thank you. And uh, so how do we as people who are trying to understand the world using these um, devices? Like, I, I can only speak for myself here, but I think that comedy might be the missing link between journalism and art and some of the struggles that we're facing in our country. What do you guys think about that? You can go ahead if you want. I don't. I'm not that experienced in journalism, so I'm well, not either. Well, I would say you know back to a little bit of what I was saying before, which is that I believe comedy is is that kind of the the spoonful of sugar, right? That mm-hmm. that takes the the harsh realities of the world and makes it more digestible, right? And it can kind of you can. It's a way to receive information that is that is very. Um, beneficial right you get people interested in certain topics that they may not have been interested in otherwise they don't want to read the feature story in you know the new yorker and drink with their pinky up they don't want to do that stuff right they just want john oliver to tell them what's wrong with journalism and what they can do about it so they do something at the end of the show where he says you know write the fcc about net neutrality website twice yeah right yeah exactly um so, so in that regard, absolutely. And I do think that comedy can also be medicinal in some ways is that it helps us cope with that other stuff. So not only just a way to receive that information, uh, but also to contextualize it. And we can laugh about it, right? We can, we can laugh about anything, you know? Yeah. Uh, just try, and f- try to find some redeeming quality. And if it's not redeeming, let's at least agree that it's not redeeming. And we'll have an old man yells at cloud moment <laughs> together. Well, that's kind of like to tie it back into you were talking about The Simpsons. So it's a cartoon and it makes jokes about like its own network all the time because it's on Fox. But uh, I mean, the big thing that was talked about in 2016 was the fact that there was an episode where they predicted Trump to be president and then it happened. So do you think that maybe 
something like The Simpsons specifically is, I would say, I don't know if you can really say that it's doing the same thing that maybe the political satire shows are doing. I mean, in a way it is, but their their goal isn't to satirize the news. They're just a cartoon on Fox that's kind of about the whole family element in general. So do you think maybe that the satire, I wouldn't say specifically in this administration, because I'm sure it happened with the Obama and Bush administration as well, but do you think it's maybe leaking into too many things or satire yeah i mean like it's a freedom of speech thing obviously but i don't know like is there anything it doesn't touch at this point i guess i'll i mean i'll give you a a general answer and maybe it will be satisfactory maybe it won't but i think that any art form no matter what it is has always drawn from the culture that surrounds it right and it tries to either play with those ideas or to set satirize um to make fun, to call for change, whatever, right? We all draw from that stuff. It all informs. I mean, it's it's very difficult not to do that, right? Um, so is it too much? No. I think that other people will try to politicize politicize it. You know, so someone can look at The Simpsons and just, I, I, I don't know if anybody said this, probably somewhere someone has said <laughs> that The Simpsons is too liberal or it's right. too conservative or something like that, right? Probably too liberal. Um and if they want to do that, that's them, you know, bringing their own politics to the to the show itself. Mm-hmm. But The Simpsons, I mean, has a long history of, of satire of anything. And they, they draw on various archetypes, right? Um, and so very famous archetypes that just kind of come to represent whatever it is. So there's like the billionaire Texan, you know, with the 10-gallon ga- ten right. hat or whatever, who's always like, woohoo, let's go get some oil, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. You know, or if it's Cletus, the slack-jawed yokel, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, so you, there's always issues of class and of race and of gender. You know, all that stuff is being played in there. I think Simpsons is interesting to me because it's been through 28 years. So they have a mayor who sounds like Kennedy. They've oh, also my God. Been I love, I love him. Queen. I love doing that voice. <laughs> What is it? Okay, I'm going to try to do this. Oh, my God, I'm too rich to die. (laughs) 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 But they've been through, so, like, they have a mayor that's played off of Kennedy, um, and they've been through two or three different... Some prezzies. Yeah, two or three different administrations. So that, in just that aspect, I think is interesting because they're on Fox. They've been through, like, four administrations think just as a show they've covered a lot of ground that yeah. even a show i mean the daily show's been on for a long time too but i think they just covered a lot of ground that you wouldn't expect a cartoon about a yellow family to go through if that makes sense yeah i mean and that's you know that's one of the reasons that it's been so successful is that it draws a lot of different people um in and you know the characters don't age <laughs> right? <laughs> right so like the show could be on, you know, forever. And uh, I'm certainly a big fan of The Simpsons. So, yeah, important part of the comedy landscape. Do you feel like The Simpsons... Um, I haven't done any research into this, so I, I do not know the, the political views of the creators and the people who work on that media. Um, are they... Is everyone in the media, are they just all liberals? Or do you... Are we... Are we I don't know how... How are we divided down the middle? 
you know, politically, what what do you guys think is happening there? Did, do you guys feel like everybody is represented? And I know that's several questions, but is everybody being represented in these shows, in the media that we produce or consume, depending, depending? Um, is Pro- everyone being treated fairly and... Provocative counter question. Should they be? I mean, just this is kind of probably a horrible example, but I mean, Breitbart News does exist. I'm just saying that as a blanket statement. So here, here's, I guess here's the other thing. If, if you are a public figure or a public official, so you serve in some capacity uh, in government, or if you're a celebrity, that brings a certain amount of... Um, attention right and you're probably going to be imitated you're probably going to show up on saturday night live right especially if you do something foolish right yeah uh, if you have a moment that um you know people will remember i mean we talked about ken bone even right. too remember yeah. ken bone half the people didn't so, even remember yeah ken and bone. some people don't even remember ken bone at this point but he he was a staple right yeah. he was a staple on saturday night live for a little bit um as well so again that's just a point of like you know comedy and and anybody who creates anything is going to draw from what's available around them so if you're confronted with what's going on at the white house every day or sean spicer driving like a (laughs) like his podium around like a like a mobile or something that's going to show up in satire you know and i think that that's the role of it it's kind of to reflect that reality but also in its reflection to tell us something about it at the same time right and like i i agree kind of tipping off of We've been talking about John Oliver a lot. He did a couple pieces on Alex Jones, and he talked about how, like, he'll cover a what I, I don't want to be biased here, but he'll cover a story, I guess. And then right after, he'd advertise his health supplements, supplements or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so then they did the same thing on HBO to satirize it. And then the next Alex Jones episode, he said that John Oliver's ratings were going down and they brought him back from the dead and all this. So I think... That's what we call throwing shade. Yeah, exactly. I think that... I'm hip. I'm cool. (laughs) Yeah. Um, (laughs) I I didn't mean to leave you hanging there. There was a pause. (laughs) I don't don't know you yet, but so far it seems like it. I think we're all pretty cool here. But I think uh, I like what you were talking about. Like, yeah. And think, awkward. <laughs> cool. We're just having a conversation here. Just talking. Just talking. talking about serious politics in a podcast. Because that's ridiculous. I know. But it's just ridiculous. Cue sound effect here. <laughs> Some like. You don't have the, like, the laugh track the, ready? Or like one of those like, like three 80s stooges. public radio, like whoop, 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 super weird, like fart noises or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I think the fact that there's two, um, I would say, two publications that are pinning off of each other because of things that they say they do or do do or something like that. I think it's interesting that that's, I mean, I guess it's always been a thing because like um, NBC will talk about Fox News or whatever, but I feel like it's different when you have two Shows that aren't, like, 24-hour news cycles that are doing it. I don't know if that makes sense, but... Yeah, so if there's a question in there, I think (laughs) that I would say... 
Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't always that way, right? Right. Um, I mean, maybe in the opinion columns, you would have people calling out, and there's there are sort of real famous uh, intellectual debates that took place between different public figures in history, of course. But yeah, now we're we've got a media landscape where, you know, you that that's good for both parties, right? Because John Oliver is going to be talking about Alex Jones. People that listen to Alex Jones, I don't know, to whatever, to insofar as their audiences overlap, probably not much. <laughs> but if they do, or, or maybe someone goes to check it out, now that John Oliver's talked about Alex Jones, they're like, oh, let me see this guy, right? Or they look up clips of him online, or they do this stuff, and it's drawing attention to Alex Jones, right? right. And, that, and that's something. Yeah. And then Alex Jones is going to talk about John Oliver, and maybe his audience is like, oh, what is Oliver saying about Alex Jones? Well, who's this guy? Who's this guy? <laughs> and so they're going to go you know, maybe watch his stuff on YouTube and all that's still driving attention to both of those shows. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's, you know, that's, that's one way to do it. Yeah. It's kind of a bad, bad, um, conclusion there. Oh, that's one way to do it. (laughs) Whatever, whatever way the cookie crumbles. Right. Isn't that, that would be from Bruce Bruce Almighty. Almighty, Yeah. 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 Um, it's wonderful. Maybe we should just turn this into a trivia game. What film from 2004? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think I didn't. I throw out a challenge one time in, in class, and I and then I said, somebody, somebody. Oh, we were talking about comic book movies. Oh, Marvel. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and then somebody said, uh, oh, you know, I couldn't remember like who was in the movie, and then I I said, hey, listen, anything like early <laughs> yeah. 2000s through the 80s, I'm good, you know. Yeah. Um, but I'm not so sure. Well, like yesterday, you were talking about. This is a very hard 90-degree segue, but um, you were talking about the change from three networks to four networks, and now there's unlimited networks. So, Still limited. Okay. And then to massive amounts of limited networks. Um, so is there something in that change that has, like... Oh, blown your mind i guess like a show that you you would think there's no way in those four networks that this would ever happen i mean simpsons is kind of like that because it's on fox and i think that none of the other three networks maybe would have thought about taking the simpsons but well i think that that speaks to the simpsons staying power more mm-hmm. than anything else because yeah so simpsons has kind of spun off and they've done movies and they've done video games and you know other stuff like that but um and even music as well. I don't <laughs> right. remember the, yeah. the CDs and stuff. Um, yeah, I used to know the words to the Bartman. I think I'm pretty sure when I was younger. I have a vinyl um, record with the Spider Pig song. Oh, oh nice. my god! Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god! Yeah, nice. Do you Not wanna, to make myself wanna, any more embarrassed. Can I? Can I embarrass you more and just roll with it? And yeah. Can you? Can you actually sing the Spider no. Pig song? No. Can, no. can you sing? I mean, the Spider Birkenbein's Pig. in a band. So you're in a band. band? Yeah. yeah. Can you? Tell us about your band. I don't sing in the band, by the way. <laughs> can you can you play the baseline of the? I used to sing, uh, but not anymore. Um, no, I'm not going to sing. Uh, I'm not going to sing on the podcast. <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. And that's fine. No, yeah, but um, yeah. So, anyways, I was saying like The Simpsons, <laughs> right? The Simpsons have staying power. But you were asking about okay, so now is there something that's amazed you? Mm-hmm. I think one of the other things that's that's changed or that is kind of impressive is that it's forced other people to try and make higher quality programming to actually attract audiences mm-hmm. in like and kind of cut through and like actually be one of those really good shows that people have to see, right? So if you think about, 
even like, you know, Stranger Things or I actually think that television writ large is having sort of another golden era or like maybe the golden era of television. There's really good television shows being made right now, particularly because of like binge watching. And right. now that that's possible, people just make these shows and they're they're really good. I mean, some of the best television shows in history, I would say, well, at least in, according to the critics, <laughs> More current shows are on that list, right? Yeah. Even starting with, I think some people would throw like The Sopranos up there. They would throw Breaking Bad for sure mm -hmm. up there, um, and and we'll see what else. I mean, there's some others, but but Breaking Bad is definitely me, really good. Let me veer off a little bit here, um, and again, we don't have to keep any of this. It's it's obviously this whole hour was for nothing. obviously <laughs> it's it's whatever. But how do you feel that? Um, the media portrays America. How do you feel like the rest of the world is portrayed in the media? How do you feel? What do you two think about how people are portrayed in the media in terms of race, in terms of their culture? Yeah, I would say <laughs> so. This is difficult because it's as someone who has studied the media for quite a long time. Um, quite a long, there's the age thing again. <laughs> that one was your own fault. That wasn't me. Um, I'll just speak in very general terms. Number one, I think we have to make a distinction when people talk about the media to ask them which one they're talking about, right? Because now we do have so many different channels, stations, films, portraying people in lots of different ways. And there's also a very long history of what would be called alternative media which have tried to counteract the broader more general narratives of the mainstream media right um but with that being said i think that one of the general things we can say is that um other cultures around the world are still vastly underrepresented and i do think that that takes place in the u.s so that we get very little news about international events unless the u.s is somehow involved uh, whereas people internationally get a lot of news about the U.S., right? Um, and so there's that. Um, in terms of other representation, you know, I'll just go back and say that, like, culture changes very slowly. And right. we know that, you know. <laughs> yeah. It's so uh, I think things are getting better. I think there's still a, lo a long way to go. Mm -hmm. That's a very generic answer, but without doing an entire show on that, I'll leave it there. Right. Maybe someone else could do an entire show on that. And in fact, I think they have. I think they have. Um, again, this is just some people might see this as me just throwing in my own bias. I Again, I'm a student. I, but I recently watched the show Black Lives Matter or Black Lives Matter. <laughs> mm -hmm. I recently watched the show Dear White People. <laughs> And it's not it's not quite a show dear black people mm -hmm. oh my god Ugh. i'm i'm done i can't i can't <laughs> I, I cannot <laughs> so to, to tie these two together actually because you were talking about culture changing yeah. that's the thing that like interests me the most which i could not believe the lecture yesterday tied in so well with what we're talking about like today i got super lucky with that but um i think it's true that culture changes because like, with three networks, everyone was talking about the same show. Like, everyone was talking about the same TV show. Everyone was talking about Bonanza or, I don't know, 
some Beverly Hillbillies, yeah, Lucy, right, yeah, uh, um, even even into the later like WKRP Cincinnati is not that popular of a show, but that era of television, everyone was talking about the same show. But now, like you were talking about, there's so much streaming, binge watching, so many networks that there's I don't think there's any way to really get a massive quantity of people to talk about the same show anymore, unless. There's cases like Breaking Bad or Stranger Things where they kind of just break the mold so much that people, everyone tends to watch them. Or, or, you know, the interesting question is, what is it about those shows that makes them so popular, right? Um, Because there are are other shows that, you know, were canceled that I'm sure that many fan communities are out there really, you know, (laughs) shaking their fists at the cloud (laughs) thinking like, you know, and we have examples of that. Like, why did that show get canceled? And maybe they bring it back. But, um, you know, for something like Stranger Things... I don't know why, like why right. I, I love it too. Like I'm still, I'm, you know, I still, as I tell the class, I've still got, I think at this point I watched another one last night. So I got like three episodes left in season two. Um, but I think it's, I think some of the stranger things stuff is the fact that it's kind of drawing on this nostalgic, right. Of this nostalgia for the past and kind of take transporting you back into the 1980s. But they, they also play on all these 1980s tropes of, like, right. all these 80s films. So – and the actors and actresses as well come <laughs> from the 80s. Um, so there's all that. And they've got this killer, like, synthwave soundtrack, which is, mm-hmm. like, foreboding and, and sort of grows on you and that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. So I, I, there was a scene last night, too, where um, – uh, oh, I'm going to forget the characters' names now. Um <laughs> Yeah, anyways, the the girl, uh played by Cara Buono. Mm-hmm. It's kinda strange that I know her her, her, her real, real name, name and, and I forget her you know, Mike's sister, right? Uh yeah, I think so. I am horribly going to oh, say this, but gosh. I'm not really a fan of Stranger Things. Uh, okay. No, it's fine. Anyways, well all right, so this this defeats my point, except for all those listeners out there. <laughs> I, the I two s- listeners. <laughs> I would say that there was this there was this moment when this sort of romantic connection occurred, but it, it was so classic. And by classic, I mean predictable mm-hmm. because, you know, they're both there. They're in separate rooms. And then um, it eventually gets to the point where the guy's like, oh, where am I? no, I got to go back out there. I got to do that. You could see this going through his mind at the same time. And then he opens up the door and guess who's there? She's right there. And nice. so at the moment of the of the um, the encounter, you cue up this like synth wave soundtrack. Mm-hmm. It's just like... It's beautiful. You know? <laughs> well, like, I think the Goldbergs is the same thing. I think people are really into the nostalgia of, especially because the actual Adam Goldberg is making the show. So it's a lot like a uh, Christmas story or things like that, where it's a biographical rendition, fictional rendition. And so I think it, and I mean, a lot of research goes into that stuff, clothes, posters, music, TV shows, whatever. But you want to know why? It's because I think like my generation has all of you captured in like a culture right. ca- uh, uh, trap. You know what I mean? My because entire childhood agrees with you. Things things don't go back like before the 80s anymore. And yeah. now we're just recycling everything from the 80s yeah. because we thought it was cool. And like my generation is the one that's making all the media now. And they're like, other kids are going to find this <laughs> cool too, right? But let's like do Transformers again. Let's do yeah. that. Let's do next thing you know, like Rainbow Bright is going to come back. Anybody? No. <laughs> yeah, my yeah. little My oh, Little yeah, Pony Rainbow is Bright. My Little Pony's oh, already God. here. Yeah. Taking over the world. Please, right. please don't. Yeah. I cannot allow this on 
this podcast, just executive decision, please. No, no mention <laughs> of My Little Pony. So you, please. so you disagree that friendship is magic. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, like so, <laughs> I have a brother who's nine years older, than, well, eight years older than me. He was born in 1989, so he's technically in that kind of. I mean, to be honest, he's a 90s kid. He's not That's an 80s a 90s kid. kid. Yeah. But, but yeah, he has a total different television experience than I did as mm-hmm. a kid. But because both of our parents are older for at least my age of my group of kids that I grew up with, I, as a kid, am, was like this dictionary of things that no one knows anything of what I'm talking about. Like, when I brought up WKRP Cincinnati, yeah. all of the faces in here went blank. Like, those don't bring up anymore. However, there are things that were in the 90s. Like, um, there's actually a documentary that just came out on Hulu, and it's about the Dana Carvey show. Oh, my gosh. Did you watch that documentary? Oh, of course. So it's all the this... best documentary in the world. I haven't seen the documentary. I actually watched the, the whole Dana Carvey show. The show is great, too. Because yeah. that got canceled very early. Seven episodes in, yeah. One of my favorite skits from that show, by the way, because this is going to be real relevant to comedy. Because I was talking about the 90s and, you know, all the spinoff shows and everything mm-hmm. else, right? By the way, remind me later to talk about how I, I have this argument, and I think that I think I can pretty much make this argument that Mike Myers single handedly was responsible for about twenty years of popular culture. Like um, just yeah. not even questionable, yeah. Okay. The Dana Carvey show, one of my favorite skits is the Taco Bell skit. Really? Oh, it's great. <laughs> so my friends and I, we would always say like we should do that, mm-hmm. right? We should do that just to just to be funny, right? <laughs> we thought that was hilarious because so for those of listeners out there that don't know, uh, I forget if it was just Dana Carvey or like he had a, he had some friends in the car, right? There was like three of them or three it or four in the him, car. It was him and are you talking about like the pranksters that didn't actually prank people? Exactly. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. It's Steve Carell and Dana Carvey. That's, Steve Carell is in it. Yeah. That's right. Steve Carell is there too. So <laughs> so they roll up to Taco Bell. They, well, they, first of all, they go to the drive-thru and they right. order like 10 tacos or something like yeah. that. And they're like, okay, so, all right, your total is going to come to... $18.14. Which, not to interrupt, but Robert Smigel, who yes. helped write that show, who's like one of my all-time favorite people, is the cashier in the Taco Bell thing. Yes. And he's like the smartest writer of all time. Like, that guy. Really, really yeah. good stuff. Absolutely, Smigel. Uh, so anyway, so the, the, the total would come to like $18 and you know, 20 cents or something. And so they'd roll up kind of snickering to each other like, oh man, this is going to be so cool. This is going to be so great. <laughs> and so they hand a $20 bill to the cashier and then peel out and drive right. away from the drive. I'm like, Oh, we got them so bad. You know, we thought that was funny. I don't know. The uh, best. Well, like, so in the, in the documentary, they talk about how, how was there this powerhouse of people that were on this show? Cause you had Stephen Colbert, Steve Carell, Dana Carvey, Robert Smigel, uh, Louis C.K. was head writer. There was a massive group of people that were, that we know now that are massive in the comedy Mm -hmm. scene, Mm -hmm. but it only lasted seven episodes. And so the whole point of the documentary is how do we have this powerhouse of people and then not even make it to a full season? There were eight episodes made and they wouldn't even show the last episode. Yeah. And so Dana Carvey makes this thing talking about the pranksters who don't prank people. He talks about the very last one in the last episode is the, the two guys end up winning the lottery and they go down to accept the award and there's, press there and everything's going on and they have the huge printout check and all that stuff and they're like oh we'll be right back we just gotta use the restroom or whatever 
and they bolt out of there with their car. They start laughing just like every other time they do it, and then they slowly start to realize that they just left millions of dollars behind. Yeah. And Dana Carvey kind of says, like, that sketch is pretty much how this show works. Like, we got this show, and it's great, and all this stuff's happening, and then we fooled ourselves by putting this thing on the show on the air right after home improvement which was a family show like well <laughs> and it's funny that you say that because i was just thinking like i remember that that show premiered or it would air like after home improvement home improvement was a big deal yeah, right prime like, time prime yeah. time slot and actually to be honest and um you know dana carvey can come after me if he wants <laughs> but like that's that that was sort of the beginning of kind of the long downturn for him because mm-hmm. he did this he also did this movie Mr. Turtle or was it Master Mis- of Disguise? Was it Master of Disguise? Mm-hmm. But that turtle character I yeah. feel like was on the was he on the Dana Carvey show too? He did uh I don't know cuz there's a couple of sketches where he kind of sounds like that guy yeah. but it's not it's not like a turtle character. But the turtle character like Yeah. It's just a gimmick piece, right? I know right? maybe three people that have seen that. Yeah, <laughs> nobody's going to know that stuff. So, like, you can look it up later, like Dana Carvey Turtle. And <laughs> that just that just wasn't that funny. Master mm. of Disguise, that's right. That yeah. was the name of the movie. I didn't yeah. – I, yeah, it's been a long time. There's, like, massive, like, massively famous people in that movie, too. So right. what happened to you – know? Well, but, but all of that – I mean, even – so that whole – you know, a lot of them – so there's, there's sort of like a – uh, you know, kind of inner circle of of, of comedy achievement, right? Mm-hmm. And those people know each other, right? They know each other from the comedy circuit. They know each other from Second City in Chicago, uh, the improv circuit. Um, and then when they once they start doing stuff, they try and bring up other people to do things. But sometimes it just doesn't work. But there are certain times when you just get like that right mix of people that it that it does work, right? And that those people could go on to have independent careers and be hilarious by themselves, but together you know either works or just doesn't work another case in point is that speaking of the simpsons there's some debate out there um but i think widely regarded as kind of a a fluctuation in the quality of simpsons seasons right right and so there's like the magic seasons when everything happens first 10 or something yeah not even the first 10 because the good like you know Sorry, Simpsons producers, but like the really good writers didn't come in until like season two, like three or four. I think the run like season three through six or seven is like magic. Right. right? Well, that's like those are all the episodes with uh, like Sideshow Bob in that, right? Uh, Yes. So Sideshow Bob is in there. They've got really great stuff there. But that's when like I believe Smigel was writing for The Simpsons. Um, I could be wrong. Let's see. Conan Conan Conan, O'Brien was Conan wrote the the first to nerd out really quick the yeah. first episode that conan ever pitched that made it was the monorail episode oh my god which is like one of the most like famous the best, episodes it's yeah. like the best that's like the best episode like, how ever. do you how was that your first pitch and yeah. the most popular episode like it's kind of wild but yeah 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 well so with this dana Car- carvey um documentary they were talking about um there's my favorite sketch which i thought i was like the weirdest person in the world to have this be my favorite sketch but it was the grandma the clown sketch okay did you ever see honestly like I, so i probably did see it mm-hmm. but i can't i don't know don't so remember it. there's no cast members in the sketch it's just an old lady in clown makeup she has a walker with clown shoes on it so every time it moves it makes like the squeaky nose sound that okay. clowns make sure okay. And they have, like, ten children sitting on the carpet, 
and she's really just telling them how like they're all gonna die soon and age isn't <laughs> good and like she has this uh cream pie on her walker and she presses this button and it very slowly comes towards her <laughs> face <laughs> so it's like the oddest yeah. sketch in the world but the the thing that killed me about that documentary was there was a guy on there who ended up moving to that show from Seinfeld. So he was like on the number one show on the top network. Everything was huge. And then he said how he saw Grandma the Clown and he's like, we need to go work for these guys. And yeah. then it didn't even make it to a full season. And I just think it's yeah. super interesting that they're like, it was like the, the guy says in the documentary it was like this beacon to writers come work for us. And then they hire him expecting him to fix the show so that it would last longer and he was like don't touch anything it's perfect Perfect. exactly how it is yeah yeah uh i would also say too by the way speaking of like relatively short-lived or like kind of cult classic comedy sketch comedy shows there are some gems too from the 90s and i'm just gonna throw them out there (laughs) and say that if you haven't seen the state which is MTV's, Mm -hmm. I believe it was their first sketch comedy show. Yeah, because it was before the one they did with Chris Hardwick and all of those guys. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, it was before that stuff. And I want to say it was like around the time that like Singled Out was a thing, like this dating show with Jenny McCarthy. And But anyways, that was there. Also, well, we could talk about MTV as well, but <laughs> the state is amazing. And you'll recognize a lot of those faces mm-hmm. uh, in subsequent shows, including Reno 911, by the way. So yeah. most of a lot of that cast went on to be in Reno 911. Uh, the other one is the Upright Citizens Brigade. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so if you did, that was another one that was like a really kind of cult classic among me and my friends. Um, we, yeah, we really liked that stuff too. And Upright Citizens Brigade, of course, is like now uh, a touring, a huge thing, yeah. touring like comedy troupe and, and may have been before the show, but then they turned it into a TV show and there's some really good skits uh, on that show as well. Yeah. Yeah. So it looks like we've come to about an hour. So I'm going to wrap it up with just like a fun, super cheesy question. And I'm sorry, but I'm going to steal it from Pete Holmes because it's a really good question. So what's the the last time or any time in your childhood, adult life, whenever, the hardest time you've ever laughed? Anytime. And so it not doesn't like, even have to be at something. Like, it could have just been, like, not like, you saw someone hit a pole, like, walking down the street or something. Just the hardest time. Yeah, I don't laugh left. at that. Um, that's a great, that's a great, that's a great question. And uh, it's a great question because I'm trying to think back. Immediately, I'm I'm, I'm presented with with some memories that are starting to, to come up. But now I'm trying to think of like, I, I remember there are times that I just could not stop laughing, right? One time in this, I'll just give you this one before, like sort of a comedy inspired one. Mm-hmm. I just remember being, and actually the reason I remember this is almost because it's, it's like shame, right? It's like this mm-hmm. deep, deep feeling of shame. Um, I think I'm, you should explore that more. <laughs> and I'm about to on this podcast Do right it. now. Do it. This is like a, this is a true inner glimpse to Professor Birkenbein. I would say that I was at a I was at a friend's birthday party when gosh we must have been probably like 12 years old something like mm-hmm. that it was like a 12 year old birthday party right. maybe an 11 year old birthday party No I'm going to say it was like about 12 and I just remember going to this guy's house and we weren't doing any I mean we were having fun right we were playing mm-hmm. video games like having some sodas you know just snacking right. on some snacks and I remember the guy's mom had called us in. She had ordered pizzas for all of us. 
and she called us in to sit down and someone at the table. So we all sat down. There was like, I don't know, eight to 10 of us all sat down around this table, a bunch of pizzas laid out and like two liters of soda. Right. And we poured our sodas, blah, blah, blah. And then, um, I, I think somebody across the table like made a gesture like he was like, oh, wouldn't it be funny? But he didn't say anything, but it, like, wouldn't it be funny if I just like spit this out, right? So I'm trying to describe this to the – describe like, for the ear right now. It's like right the uh, – what's the animal house? The yeah, Belushi, the, the zit The zit thing, thing right? Yeah. But he's like, you know, like I'm going to lose it all right now. And for some reason I started giggling and I could not stop. <laughs> I, and it was like bad. Like people were looking at me like – Dude, like Ben, are you, like, are you okay, dude? Like, what's happening? And I'm like, I don't know, man. I just, you know, and then I would try to like calm myself down, and I just couldn't. St- I couldn't stop laughing, and I don't know why. Oh, man. Um, other than that, I would say, let me let me think about it for a second. So maybe talk amongst yourselves. Danny, Pick, do you have one? Choose a topic. Grape nuts. Neither grapes nor nuts. You can't very start. True. You can't end the podcast and start the first day of lecture with the same joke. That's. But that's Mike Myers. Uh, yeah, that, that's okay. which is weird because it sounds kind of Seinfeldy when you first said it. I was like, I think this guy's ripping off Seinfeld. Now that was Coffee Time with Linda. One of his his skits <laughs> coffee, was Coffee Time coffee with talk, Linda. Yeah. yeah, Coffee Talk. Yeah, yeah Coffee yeah. Talk with Linda. I'm a little verklempt. <laughs> Do you have one, Danny? You know, not off the top of my head. Really? Not off the top of my head. I think. You know, I think I. You know, I might have had something like that. But I'm just not sure. Well, I'll just get the ball rolling. It could be, it could be like some. I guess it could be some repressed memory or something. <laughs> something you don't need to bring back up again. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry for taking the show to <laughs> a different different level. That's apparently something that happens to people: is these repressed memories. Well, the hardest. On, go the, ahead. The please. hardest that I ever laughed was I was ten years old. And my dad, for the first time, showed me the Mike Myers movie, actually, So I Married an Axe Murderer. Just talked about this last night. <laughs> so he's a poet, in San, like a slam poet, I guess, uh, in in San Francisco. And he, get, he finds a girl, and they start dating, and she ends up, he assumes that she is a murderer based on all of these stories that are happening and that are being printed in the paper. Is that funny? The, it's that's hilarious. the premise of the movie. It's hilarious. Yes. Okay. So <laughs> the part that made me laugh was he tries to win her back by reading a poem to her. And he does that line like Harbinger. What I can, can't remember right now, but it's like. Uh, Harriet. Yeah. Harriet. Sweet Harriet. Of, of Haggis, Haggis or whatever. Something. So I was 10. So those two H words together were already funny. Mm-hmm. But then he had this like string band behind him. And he was like, <laughs> yeah, he was in like all black and like doing these weird dances. And I could not stop laughing. That was the funniest thing I had ever seen. Yeah, it's really good. And in fact, I got that song in my head. Now, now let me ask you this, because I just talked about this last night um, as I was making dinner, mm-hmm. because I got a song in my head. And the song was "It Had to Be You." Mm. It had to be you, right, you know that right, one? right? And so I think, if I remember correctly, that like there was some clue that that was going to be it, it, there she, was that so, she sings yeah, that yeah. song to all of her victims or something like that. Yeah. So so 
I almost thought you were talking about because they keep playing that song, uh, like "There She Goes" or whatever throughout the oh, movie. Oh yeah, the Boo that, Radleys. Yeah, yeah, amazing but that wasn't song. What, that's what I thought you were talking about. I'm like, okay, no. that's not the song. But there is after they get married and they're having like the party in the garden. Yes, yes. And she wants to sing a song for him, and she, and her, his friend talks him down. Like she, we checked her out. She's not a murderer. Everything's fine. But they say that she sings this thing or whatever, and then she starts singing it, and she's like in this nice white dress and like. His family is extremely Scottish, so like everyone's dressed in kilts and stuff. And then she starts singing that "It Had to Be You" song. So then he starts like hyperventilating at his own wedding. And that's the song, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. Because I thought I was, I thought I maybe remembered that incorrectly, but um, yeah, just thought it, that's funny. This, this is fun. This is fun. Yeah. That was a Pete Holmes thing. He's yeah. like, this is fun. This is yeah. fun. I'm having fun. He's just always happy, yeah. even yeah. when his wife cheats on him. It's fine. All right. That, that I think that's when he was talking about rowing with uh, somebody. He's going swimming with someone in the ocean. He's like, "This is fun. This is fun." Oh, is it stand up? Yeah, it's a stand up. Hmm. Anyways, that's it. Oh, that's all I've got. Thanks for having me. Thank this you for coming. Pleasure. Thank you so much for coming yeah. on the yeah. podcast. Cool. This is my first podcast appearance. Thanks. <laughs> all right. So you've been listening to Pahaha Podcast. I'm your host, Danny Derosa. I'm Vivian. And I'm Ben Birkenbein.